Money's crazy mind contains language that may not be suitable for all listeners. Discretion is advised, but will be completely ignored. And where the hell am I? Um, I don't know where the hell I am, but I am not at the Detroit Auto Parts Studios. Uh, I am on location for this week. Um, you know, a lot of stuff happening at the end of this week. Uh, something's going right here. And, um, you know, woman wanted me at home tonight, so I said, okay. I'll do the show from home. I'll do the show uh, in Spook Central, which is what I call my man cave. Um, so that's where I'm at. I am at home. I am not in the Detroit Auto Parts studios. Hopefully we'll be back there soon. There's another reason why I'm not there either. Uh, you know, we're still trying to finish things up in uh, the Growing Wings studios. Uh, so that we can start doing Steel City Renegades from there. Once we come back, I'm low. Is that better, Dave? If I get too much higher, there's going to be this weird ringing, and I don't want you guys to hear this weird ring. But we'll turn up the volume just a little bit more. Let me know if that's any better. Uh, first time I'm doing this from home, uh you know, video wise anyway. So still working out some kinks, you know, but we're here. Uh, I was going to try to have Jeremy with me, uh, today, but unfortunately, uh, Jeremy couldn't be here, uh, due to, uh, you know, obviously, uh, we're on location and also, um, He's in the process of moving right now. So we're going to just finish out Stephen Avery without him. The next time Jeremy will be in house with us, we are going to start our new, our new true crime series that we're going to be doing once a month. And we're going to call that true crime with Jeremy. I guess it's the working title. I haven't figured out exactly what we what we're going to call it yet but uh the first topic we're going to talk about is family annihilators so family annihilators are people that murder their entire family either for financial gain or uh sexual gain or you know any other kind of personal reason or anything like that and just so dave knows Yes, I'm wearing the red line shirt. You just can't see it because of my camera. Anyway, so last week we were kind of interrupted 
by some audio issues and stuff like that. So I want to get to some of the sad but true news that I was going to do last week. But I'm also going to do some new sad but true news. Uh, so... Is it back now, Dave? Lisa, Dave, did the sound come back? I'm just going to keep talking. Um, all right. So, anyway, uh, the girl that used to play Blossom. All right, cool. And uh, Amy Farrah Fowler on The Big Bang Theory, uh, Mayim Balik, I think is how you pronounce her name, uh, is now the next victim of cancel culture. And they're trying to get her removed as the guest host of Jeopardy because she has some, I'm not going to lie, they're pretty fucked up views. Uh, she was victim blaming the people that were victims of uh, Harvey Weinstein's sexual assault. Um, she has some crazy ideas about the Palestines and stuff like that. So they're trying to get her removed as the guest host of Jeopardy. Um, I agree with it to on some extent because I don't feel it's right. To victim blame anybody. I don't care what it is, what it's for. Victims should never be blamed. Now, her views on Palestine and everything like that. Um, you know, I mean, this has been going on for decades. It's not going to stop. Um, so... Not really sure what they can do about that, but, you know, it is what it is. Do I think that she should be removed as the guest host of Jeopardy? I mean, if you don't like her views, don't watch the episode or the episodes that she's going to be on. Now... I mean, that's really all you can do. If they see that the ratings are low while she's on it, 
they won't ever come back and do another episode. Ding. Problem solved. You don't have to go online and cause all kinds of crap to get somebody removed. Just don't watch. When we hated a TV show as kids, that's all we did. We turned it off. If my parents didn't like something, they turned it off. The ratings get low enough, the show don't come back. Period. So that's all I from the sad but true news last week when we were having issues with the sound. Now, for this week's sad but true news. So, um, Insane Clown Posse has announced that they are going to be starting a farewell tour starting next year. And the reasoning behind that is... It turns out, unfortunately, Violent J, uh, or his real name, Joseph Bruce, is suffering from heart failure. So it would be bad for his health if he were to go out and be on tour and do all these things as consistently as ICP has been doing for decades. You know, they've been around... God, almost 30 years. I can't believe it. Um, so they said they're going to do one more big tour. Then they're going to just do things like Big Ballers, The Gathering, Hollow Wicked, stuff like that, just so that they're not doing as many shows as they used to do. So that stinks. I love ICP. You know, they still have, I want to say, two albums that still need to be released when it pertains to the new hand of Joker's cards that they started a few years ago. Uh, they did say that that new one, or the fifth one, is going to be released on Halloween. So that's good. Now, one more small piece of sad but true news and that is you know obviously you have now you know the Taliban taking over uh, Afghanistan again and American soldiers are starting to lose their lives and that's never a good situation I don't care who anybody is um, so I just want to say Let's try to get everybody out of there as quickly as possible. And let's just end this. It's been going on for far too long. Now, into the fun stuff. So, unfortunately, Jerry, Jeremy bleh, can't be here with me again. Are you serious? I'm reading that I got sound. I can hear myself. I can here let me try something here can you hear me now okay we'll try it like this and see how that goes all right 
that also kind of got rid of the lag a little bit. So we'll see what's going on. Okay. So now on to the fun stuff. So here's the fun stuff. Unfortunately, Jeremy couldn't be here since we're remote. Um, he's in the middle of moving. So it was a little hard for him to try to find a quiet place to try to join the show. So I'm going to finish up our conversation on Stephen Avery, which we were trying to do last week. But unfortunately, obviously, we all know what happened there. Uh, we ended up having to cancel the show. We're going to try it now. Um, I, you know, my computer is not nearly as good as what we have at the studio, obviously. So if there's a lag, if there's, um, you know, some buffering, stuff like that, sorry. I'm doing the best I can with what I got. I didn't ever plan on trying to broadcast live from home. So the first thing that we're going to do is I have a video from a body language expert who looked at members of the Hallbach family, Teresa Hallbach's family, and then also looked at her ex-boyfriend, Stephen Hillegas. And if you see me looking away from the camera, it's because I'm producing and the talent at the same time. Uh, so, <laughs> again, <clears throat> working with what I got. So, let's hear what this body language expert has to say. So, if you've been living under a rock, basically what we're talking about is the case that was made famous by the Netflix documentary, Making a Murderer. And uh, I personally do believe that the two men that they have in prison for it, uh, Stephen Avery and Brandon Dassey, are innocent. I don't, th I th honestly, it was a non-investigation. Once they got Stephen, the investigation stopped. So we're going to take a look at this video here real quick of them looking of at uh, members of the Hallbach family and see what this guy has to say. Guys, let me know out there if there's sound. I hope there is. Um, and uh, as soon as this video is over, we'll break it down a little bit. And then we'll get into a couple of updates. And then I'll show you another body language video. And that's going to show one of the new potential suspects. So let's check this out. This is the Hallback family uh, being looked at by a body language expert. covering her face she's hiding her face she's looking down in shame and she was almost laughing at this moment let's see what happens when you see her face no tears her daughter is gone for a couple days and she has no tears she's sniffing around but no tears i miss her very much it's a brother mike holbach it's just very odd that we we didn't hear from her for the last two days. So this is ex-boyfriend, we see him later as well. So they were together for five years and he was still hanging out with her roommate, Scott. So this is an interesting photo. Yes, it's very protective arm around her. It's also a very controlling gesture. 
just so I comment on the side. From what we understand, she made all three stops, and after the third stop is where uh, she stopped. So he's the brother's looking down a lot. It's a signature of shame. Answering the phone, or she stopped making calls. She hadn't listened to any voicemail messages after that. She didn't make any credit card transactions. It's of course very suspicious that he knows all that. We don't know what happened after that. It's interesting, the V. He basically means the police and him. He's associating himself with the police, putting him in a light of the innocent guy looking for his sister. It's very strange, very suspicious. Um, I mean... Small smile here, actually. Small smile. The grieving process. Again, smile. Very subtle. Even crosses and he's smiling. You know, could last days, could last weeks, could la complete nonsense. He's talking about the grieving process. His sister's just gone for two days. Last years, you know, hopefully. Then he talks about years he already knows his sister's dead at this moment. Somehow he knows. We find answers as soon as possible so we can, you know, begin to uh, hopefully, you know, move on. So already moving on after two days missing. Hopefully, with Teresa still in our life. Was a little mouse shrug at the very end when he said this Teresa in his life. So that was not a very confident statement. I think he knows she's dead already. And of course, no tears. I don't know what to hope. I don't, you know, I don't know if you want. So he doesn't know what to hope for. Of course, you know, would expect he hopes for his sister to be just missing and still alive and being found soon. I want to find a vehicle and, you know, she's there. I don't know. If, you want to find nothing and hope that she's somewhere still. Um, so why wouldn't he hope she's somewhere? Alive. You know, we don't know what to, I, I don't know what. So that doesn't come across very convincing. Why wouldn't he hope she's still alive? What to hope. God is next to her. Please bring her home. That's all we want. Just bring her home. Please. The eyes are closed. That's a sign of shame and guilt. And also she sounds like she's crying. She's actually not crying. Red flag. The mother. How is she involved in that? Somebody find her. No tears. Looking down in shame. I'm not really going to comment on that, but if anything was found, you know. So that's the ex-boyfriend, Ryan. We had proper authority and professionals take a look at it as they needed. How many times were we on the site that's very, very interesting here, the dynamics. So that's the ex-boyfriend Ryan and that's Mike, Teresa's brother. And they're all best buddies. And they're all helping to search. That's a very bad sign. So the person who committed the crime is very often involved in the search effort. Because that's how they can control the story. And at the same time look innocent. The dynamics are very interesting here. Mike is going back and forth along with Ryan, they're sort of synchronizing each other. And he's looking at him, like he's somewhat controlling him. And he's even making comments and he's picking up on these. This is a good way to appear coherent in the story. So he's shaking a little bit the head, Mike. So he essentially is indicated how to answer these no, questions. I, 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 wasn't, I wasn't on the side. That's, I wasn't. That's not true at all. Did you get there, Mike? So now he's going forward again. No, he's shaking his head, looking at him, and saying he finishes the sentence. I mean, the original, we originally found the vehicle, was a member of our search party. It was a member of our... So he's picking up on the story now. He's finishing the sentence of that guy. And now he's finishing the sentence of that guy. 
No, again, looking at him, shaking his head. No one other than that has ever been on, on, the, on the actual site. And he's finishing the sentence again. It, it's been crime scene taped off. And then he's saying, yeah, after he says, yeah. So they're synchronizing their stories. They seem to look like coherent. Some odd dynamics is going on. They certainly know what happened. Secured. And now he looked down in shame, Matt. It's 90% of the cases, it's either the husband or ex-boyfriend or something like that. So here now Ryan's ex-boyfriend is in court and he's making these bizarre statements. How did you know Teresa? Um, I guess she was a longtime friend. Uh, we had dated for five years or so, end of high school and early part of college. Again, it's a very controlling grip. She lived in a house with a friend of ours, Scott Bladorn. And was it your... So he didn't approve it really? He made this little asymmetric mouse shrug. Understanding that uh, Scott and Teresa had uh, any kind of a romantic relationship? No, no romantic relationship. Just roommates? Just roommates. Mr. Hilgis, when was the first time that you heard your friend Teresa had gone missing? Uh, Scott had called me and said that... Because uh, they're all connected somehow. The roommate, Scott, and him, and the brother Mike, the Avery family. And I went over to the house that afternoon, and we printed off um, her cell phone records off the internet. So that's tempering this evidence, breaking into her cell phone account. Just to see, um, you know, calls she had made. Very suspicious. Ex-boyfriend tempering this evidence. And he was never a suspect. How stupid is that? There were other numbers of friends that we could find on there. Uh, finding her cell phone records, uh, how does something like that occur? Um, well, there were a couple of us that tried figuring it out, but basically... A couple of them ganging up to break into the account. Basically, figured out her password and... Very nice duping delight here. He's enjoying his achievement and trying to look dumb at the same time. Made up a username that worked and got into her... Now this little mouse shrug, he knows of course it wasn't right to do. Her, uh, her phone records and I mean they printed right off. But that's also very interesting. Mike somehow, he's sitting there watching this very carefully, quite relaxed actually. So he gives the impression of being somehow the coach. He's sitting on the bench and watching very carefully what's going on, somewhat controlling this whole thing in a weird way. So you just went online to singular wireless or whatever. It's like his, his little puppet is on the stand and he coached him. Dot com and just guessed her password. Well, we had just kind of figured that it would really be something relating to her sisters. And I believe it was there. This was played now. He's pretending he's trying to remember. Of course, he knows all the details. I think it was their birthdays that got into it for us. I'm not exactly sure about what the password was, but. Did you see her or talk with her that day? don't believe I talked to her on Saturday. So it doesn't look like a truthful statement. Closing his eyes in concentration, blowing out some air, and like this is a strenuous act to remember. Of course, at this moment, he's completely prepared and he knows when he saw her and when not. I, I don't think so. Okay. Okay, so I think he saw her. Did you? And he presses the lips together, sort of sealing his lips, trying to prevent himself from saying anything else. Talk with her or see her on Sunday? Yes. Sunday is the day before she disappeared. And where was that? Uh, at her house. And how did that come about? I had just stopped briefly. I think I was dropping something off for Scott and she was... Dropping off something for Scott. It's strange. Sitting there at her computer. 
sitting at her computer and raising the shoulders. So somehow the story of seeing her for the last time officially ends with her sitting at the computer. There's no further detail. There's no ending of the story. This is the most important moment and it ends here. I find this very suspicious. So the last time you actually saw Teresa was Sunday? Yes. Do you know about what time that was? Uh, I don't know. I mean, we're talking morning. So he's getting nervous here a little bit. Noon, night. Sealing his mouth. I don't know. Looking down in shame. You don't remember at all. Swallowing. So he got nervous. So Mike and Ryan are full of shit. Excuse my English. Okay, what a fascinating case. Steven is obviously innocent and there's a lot going on with Teresa's brother Mike and her ex-boyfriend Scott um, and even with the mother somehow. There's some strange family dynamics going on. These guys should have been investigated obviously from day one on. This is 101 crime investigation. How more than a decade was wasted on nonsense investigations. Okay. Alright, so... I agree with just about everything this guy said. Maybe not necessarily about Teresa's brother, but definitely about her ex-boyfriend. I knew that there were some strange, shady things going on uh, long before uh there was you know any talk you know about Stephen being a suspect or anything like that but um the main thing that i found strange and we've said this before when it was me and jeremy oh by the way if jeremy's watching right now i see what you did sir i saw the news Good job on the scumbag catch, man. Great job. We'll have to talk about it when we have you on the show again. But anyway, so Teresa's ex-boyfriend, they're the one, her and her brother, him and her brother, are the ones that provided Pam Sturm and her daughter with a video camera and the phone number of the Calumet County Sheriff the day the car was found. Why is that interesting? Why is that important? It's important because A, Pam Sturm is Teresa's cousin. That's suspicious enough. If we were to go back and listen to the call that um, Colburn, Andy Colburn from the Manitowoc County Sheriff's Department called in to dispatch two days before the car was found on the Avery property. We showed that video in a previous episode as well. You hear Pam Sturm um, in the background going, the car is here. We don't know who she's talking to. We don't know what they're talking about. But someone is definitely sitting there saying the car is here. And it sounds exactly like Pam Sturm. Now, again, 
given direct access to the sheriff, given a camera to take pictures. And if you've ever seen the aerial shot of the Avery Salvage Yard property, it took her 30 minutes to find the car. It sounds to me like she already knew what it was and she was just trying to get some kind of a search going so that <clears throat> it didn't look like she just took a beeline right to Teresa's wrath. Now, there's a quick update that uh, Kathleen Zellner put out recently about um, the A, the discovery of the car, but then also a new suspect. So I'm going to share my screen here real quick. But I got to do something real quick before I do that. I forgot to add something. Okay. That should do it. Uh, now, my camera is going to be in the lower left-hand corner, but we're going to look at this document from uh, her website here. Um, so let's get that going. All right. Can you guys still hear me? Let me do this real quick. Can I grab that tab? No. Damn it. Oh, wait. There we go. Okay. So what we're looking at here is from uh, Kathleen Zellner's website. It has the latest update that she sent to the state. And in here, she talks about Brady violations in regards to discovery. And what it says is that the state asks the court, so that meaning the state of Wisconsin asks the Supreme Court to overlook the fact that in further violation of the discovery, it failed to disclose to Mr. Avery's prior counsel, so that would be his trial counsel, that a former driver who delivered newspapers to the Avery Salvage Yard in November 2005 observed two men including a shirtless Bobby Dassey, the state's primary witness in securing Mr. Avery's conviction, pushing Halbach's RAV4 down Avery Road prior to its later discovery on the Avery property. In its response, the state states, it's reasonable to conclude at this point that Mr. Avery is not pursuing these claims in good faith. However, the state's conclusion is clearly refuted by the procedural history of its case, the veracity of Mr. Sewinsky's So basically what, who this Mr. Sewinsky is, is he's a driver of a newspaper company. He was delivering papers to Avery Road, and two days before the car was discovered on the Avery property, he witnessed not only Bobby Dassey, 
but an unnamed unknown at this time, supposedly, an older adult male pushing Teresa Halbach's RAV4 onto the Avery property. <clears throat> so the state is basically accusing um, Kathleen Zellner, Stephen Avery's new attorney, of dragging the appeal out by constantly bringing up all these new things. So, I'm trying to find... Okay, here's part of Mr. Sawinski's statement. Uh, Bobby, who has been caught in numerous untruths during Avery's trial... Bobby testified that he was asleep and woke up around 2.30, looked around, out of the kitchen window of the dandy Jassy, bleh, Dassy Janda residence and saw Halbach's RAV4 pull up. Halbach exited the vehicle and started taking pictures of the van. When Halbach finished photographing the van, photographing the van, you see, all right, here's what's going on. I hear myself, and I don't like it, but I can't unhear myself, because if I do, then you guys can't hear me. Uh, when Halbach was finished fo fo bleh, photographing the van, Bobby claimed to see her walking up towards Uncle Steven's trailer. Dassey testified that he took a shower and then left. Now, there's a, something very interesting that happened. Um, they found a computer at the Dassey Janda residence, and I'm trying to see if she has the, the contents of that computer. Doesn't look like it. Okay, moving this back over, and we are going to jump back to this. Okay, so that was just something I wanted to bring up real quick, and I wanted to bring it up because I think it's interesting, mainly because uh, Kathleen Zellner has discovered a lot of things that Bobby Dassey has been lying about. Now, the contents of that CD basically showed a lot of violent torture porn images and search results. He was looking on how to murder people. He was looking at how to burn bodies. He was looking at basically the worst things you can think of seeing in a Saw movie. Like things that even Saw would say went too far are the kind of things that he was looking up on this computer. Um, when I go to break here in a little bit, I'm going to see if I can try to find the contents of the CD, and then we'll kind of go back over that. But real quick, what I want to do is I want to show you another body language expert video looking at Bobby Dassey testifying on the stand during Stephen's trial 
this is interesting, especially now that Bobby is a suspect. Check this out. Hey, yeah, Bobby Desi, Brendan's brother. Mr. Desi, do you know the defendant, Stephen Avery? Yes, he's my uncle. Can you speak just a little bit, please? Yes, he's my uncle. And is he in the courtroom here at this time? Yes, he is. Could you point him out for the record, please? Tell the judge where he's seated. He's right over there, to my right. So you can also see how tense and emotional Stephen is. That makes completely sense from the perspective that he's innocent. He feels angry, alert, and sad at the same time. Do you know where your uncle lived? A lot is at stake for him. Yes, he lived right next door to us. Please tell the jury what we're looking at. Well, basically, this is my mom's house. So you can hear immediately the very weak, flimsy voice of Bobby Dassey. He has no confidence in what he's saying. The red thing is Steven's trailer. It's almost breaking the voice. Well, Bobby, on October 31st, 2005, do you remember anything unusual that happened at about 2.30 that afternoon? A vehicle had drove out and started taking pictures of the van. So that's already a strange statement. He's avoiding already to mention Teresa. He tries to distance himself already from the victim. Uh, just, just a minute. Uh, what did you see? I seen a vehicle pull up in our driveway. How do you know that it was about 2.30 in the afternoon? Because I was going hunting that night. It's about your timeline? Time I wanted to get out. All right. Uh, tell the jury what you saw then. Well, I seen Teresa Hobart get out of the vehicle and started taking pictures. After see, seeing her taking any pictures, did you see her do anything? She started before I got in the shop. He's now stuttering a little bit. That's not a good sign. Oh, she actually started walking over to Steven's trailer. So he see already the anger here. A guilty person would not look like that. The window that you looked out and watched things from? Weak voice. Flimsy voice. Leftmost window on the trailer, That's sir. Yes. About what time do you think that you left to go hunting? 20 to 3. 4 to 3. 4 to 3? Mr. Dassey, when you... Big gulp here. Something is not right here. Walked out to your vehicle to go home. And you see also the decolorations in his face. So you can come back to this afterwards. One thing, did you notice... Big gulp, again. Teresa's vehicle is still in the driveway? Yes, it was. It was? Yeah. You see Miss Hollow? No. So any signs of her at all? No. It was a quick answer. That's certainly a true statement. And there was also the relief in his face. Finally, you know, he gets to the point where he gets out of the situation and left the scene. 3rd of November, the Thursday, I believe it is. Do you recall having a conversation with your uncle, uh, Stephen, regarding a body? Yes. Can you tell us what your uncle said? Look how emotional he is. Stephen told you that day? Well, my buddy Mike was over too. Very musical voice. And he asked us, it, it sounded like he was joking, honestly. But he asked us if he wanted, he wanted us to help him get rid of the body. So that seems to be like a big deal now in the show. This was days afterwards and Steven didn't even know he was a suspect. So he just choked about it. That statement means absolutely nothing. Of course, what it does is it points in the direction of Steven as being the guilty one. 
And that's quite a big thing. So if Bobby didn't do it, he would be very careful incriminating his uncle with respect to having committed this crime. This is a sign of a guilty person who does everything at this moment to avert punishment, even if his brother goes to jail. I mentioned that there's a decoloration of the skin, he turns red. So if you see at the beginning of the interview, he looks like that. And at the end of the interview, he looks like that. So here you see the red spots in the beginning, pretty pale, and then these red spots, assuming the lighting hasn't changed or anything. Let's go back and forth. Beginning, end. Beginning, end. Beginning, end. It's not too long after that, you leave the house with your bow to go hunting. Yes. As you drove off then to go deer hunting, that's what, 2.45 or 3, somewhere in that yes. range? So these answers come very quickly, so that's the truth. Anybody see you uh, yes. as you're going hunting? Who? Scott Toddick. Scott Toddick? Yes. Okay. What you told Investigator Dietering is that Mr. Toddick would be able to verify precisely what time he had seen you? Yes. Why did you think that? Maybe he looked at his clock and his truck. Had you talked with It was again a very soft answer. We had two people who alibied only themselves. They alibied each other. Nobody else saw them during this critical time period. They were on the property. They had access. So the strongest indication that Bobby has committed this crime is that he points a finger at his uncle and his brother. It's a desperate attempt to get off the hook and his weak voice as well. My suspicion is that he told the truth, that he left at some point around three or before three and that Teresa's car was still there. However, I suspect he briefly went out and talked to her. He knew her next appointment and he caught her somewhere on the way to the next appointment. He killed her, put a bloody body in her car and with the help of someone else like Scott, drove the car somewhere to burn her. And then later, when the suspicion fell on Stephen, he put the blame on him by putting bone fragments in his fire pit and returning the car to the salvage yard. So it avoided any loose ends. Why would otherwise there only be bone fragments and not more? Because initially the search didn't show any remains. It can only be small things he would have added later. Things which are hard to find. And so he could only add bone fragments. So the real investigation should have looked around in the perimeter of so many miles where Bob is usually hunting, looking for evidence of fire in the killing. Okay, so a lot of interesting stuff was said there. Uh, mainly, and this is the thing that really has always gotten me, the main thing that I have always taken away about Bobby Dassey being a, su a suspect, other than the fact that the dude looks up some violent, violent images and violent porn. Not saying that there's anything wrong with that specifically, but it's there. Now, the one thing that I've always taken away is that the only person that can truly alibi where Bobby Dassey was the night that Teresa Halbach disappeared is his stepfather, Scott Taddock. And then we think back to what the newspaper delivery driver was saying and that Taddock or that there was a older adult male. Now, that could be said that maybe that delivery driver 
doesn't really know what Scott looks like or who Scott is. So that unnamed adult male could potentially be Scott Tannock. And that has always been one thing I have taken away from it. Now, I did manage to find a image of some of the images that Bobby Dassey was looking at the day that Teresa Halbach disappeared. And I'm trying to see if I can blow it up enough to show you guys. And this is just a sample. Uh, okay, so I'm just going to read it off because it's not going to get bigger. Girls naked in shower. 15-year-old girl naked. China teen naked. Porn clips. Porn tapes. Sluts. The best effing pussy in the world. Camel toe. Girl. Free slut. Teen models. It, the list goes on and on. Oh, here we go. It blew up. Let's share the screen. I will move the camera out of the way. So that's just an example of some of the things that he was looking up the day Teresa was murdered. So there, we got it even bigger here. You know, I mean, who, who could sit there and deny that this guy has a serious problem. Just by that. That's just the porn he was looking up. That's not even the violent images. Um, you know, and they found pictures of dead teenage girls and things like that as well. Like I said, there there's a whole list of some of the things that they found. I'm still trying to look for it. Um, like I said, I'll look for it when I go on break. Um, but this is one of the main reasons that Kathleen Zellner is trying to look into Bobby Dassey as a potential suspect, mainly for the search images that were in there. Also, she has the witness that claims or that says he was on the property, you know, and there's a tons of other reasons why Bobby would make more sense than Stephen and Brendan. Not just the porn stuff, not just the violent images, not just the um, witness that saw him there, but as you heard the body language expert state, they also never searched the area where Bobby was hunting. They found bone fragments, they found stuff like that, but they never, ever searched the area where Bobby goes hunting to see if they could find full bones or just anything, anything at all, other than these fragments that appeared in the burn pit. One of the other interesting things that I took out of the trial in relation to the burn pit specifically is the state forensics department, the state crime lab, was never allowed to look at that burn pit 
before anyone from Calumet or Manitowoc County looked at it. The crime lab stated on the stand during the trial that by the time they were brought in and by the time they had a chance to look at it, hundreds of people had already gone through it, had already been digging through it, and they never had a chance to secure those crime scenes. We mentioned, you know, the fact that Calumet was allowing Manitowoc in searches when they're not supposed to be. Also, you know, some of the more damning evidence was found by Manitowoc agents, not Calumet agents. Uh, Teresa's key, the blood in the car, things like that. Um, you know, Stephen had a cut on his finger, and that was one of the things that the state was trying to claim was a good indication that there was a fight. The main thing that I have always taken away that has never been brought up is the fact that other than the fact that Avery's bedroom was dirty, there was not a lick of forensic evidence leaking Teresa to being in that room. If a violent rape, if she was being stabbed the way that they claim she was, if she was being beaten the way that they claim she was, if she was shackled to Stephen's bed, all of that, then you would have to think that there would have been some kind of forensic indication that she was in the room. But there isn't. Nothing. None. No blood. No vaginal fluids. Nothing. Um, so that's the main takeaways from that. I'm going to go to break here real quick. When I come back, I'm going to see if I can find the contents of that CD, show everybody exactly what's there. If not, um, we've got a few other things that we can talk about real quick. And then that, we're going to wrap up Stephen Avery, and we'll talk something else for the rest of the show. But this is Money's Crazy Mind. We're going to go to break real quick. Be back in about eight minutes. It's been a long week and it's been a long grind Stay wasting time and just a little travel mind It's time for the weekend, hear what I'm speaking It's time for cheap and visual peaking Got me tweaking, I need a release I wanna sweep this, I wanna rip some shit Tennis club up and bang your heads Like more music, make you feel the bloodshed Kids don't wanna dance, they wanna start a riot They wanna start a riot, they wanna start a riot Kids don't wanna dance, they wanna start a riot They wanna start a riot, they wanna start a riot Your head to your neck, feel cold. We left you in the dust, so you see it's the smoke. 
one moment down, anyone in a path Getting ready for the aftermath Run up, or shut up, run up, or shut up Run up, or shut up, run up, or shut up Run up, or shut up, run up, or shut up Run up, or shut up, run up, or shut up Run up, or shut up, run up, or shut up Run up, or shut up, run up, or shut up Run up, or shut up, run up, or shut up Run up, or shut up, run up, or shut up Mr. Snake. What the fuck, dude? Hey, you fucking shit. 
What the fuck is this? Haggis talking shit. Run your mouth. This is what you're gonna get. A screwdriver champion, yo, fucking eye. So long. Thanks for coming by. Tell your sister, I'll be over by 10 with my dick in the mouth and my balls on her chin. She's bobbing her head to this fucking beat. Damn, dog. Man, your sister's a freak. Hey, baby. You like the Eagles? Wanna hear something? Oh, yeah. I wanna take you on a long run. But don't tell your brother, seriously. He hates me. He's an internet rapper. These matches we're doing shows and we're going out with hate and all that shit. But you know what? You know what? You know what? This is for him. If you can't take a fucking joke, then go jump in the river. Nah, 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 nah. And I fucked your sister. If you can't take a fucking joke, then go jump in the river. Nah, 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 nah. And I fucked your sister. Take a joke your parents did Even though they spent the first year wishing for sin Damn dog, that's not funny You better watch out, you're gonna hurt somebody No sudden after death, man, you know fun What about an 8th grader with a gun? Man, they already did that, man It's called fucking Columbine, dog Oh, fuck, I forgot that shit Fuck, dude Okay, fine What if I walked into a church with a loaded knife? You know what? Fuck it Kill them all, let the fucking guys sort them out, and I don't give a fuck, dog. You know what? Go to a fucking mall with it. Hell yeah! You know what? Fuck it! Fuck it! We're gonna end this song fucking right now. You know what? Run. Fuck it! Empty that shit up! If you can't take a fucking joke, then go jump in the river. Nah, 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 and I fucked your sister. You can't take a fucking joke, then go jump in the river. La 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 la, and I fucked your sister. What the fuck, guys? All right, now we're back, and now we're live. I want to give a special shout-out to my guys in Psych Ward. They were in studio a couple weeks ago. Love those guys. And they provided not only their song, A-Tang, a theme song for a new generation, but also the official theme song of Money's Crazy Mind, Funny Bone, both of which... You just heard there. So, I was able to discover something about what exactly the CD contains and what exactly Kathleen Zellner was worried about. So, this is a portion of what was in the 600-page document she submitted to the Supreme Court in this case so let's take a look at this here uh the dasty computer contained images of mrs hallbach violent pornography dead bodies of young females viewed by bobby at relevant time periods before and after the murder of mrs hallbach <clears throat> 
New forensic technology reveals images of Halbach, many images of violent pornography involving young women being raped and tortured, images of injuries to females, including a decapitated head, bloody torso, a bloody head injury, and mutilated body. And these were all on the DASI computer. Many of the female images, both alive and deceased, bear an uncanny resemblance to Mrs. Halbach. She further claims that these searches have been isolated to times when only Bobby Dassey was home, although there were one, there was only one user account on the computer. The relevant searches occurred during times when Bobby was alone in the house while Bobby worked nights and was home during the day on weekdays. All of his family members bleh, either attended high school or worked the day shift. The quantity and nature of pornographic content recovered from the DASI computer should have alerted investigators to the individual viewing such images as someone at an elevated risk of committing a sexually motivated violent crime. And this article from Heavy.com reveals police procedures expert Greg McCrary submitted a supplemental affidavit wherein he describes his opinion that the violent underage and child pornography combined with the images of searches for dead bodies reflects a comorbidity of sexua, sexual paraphilias. Bobby Dassey was becoming obsessively deviant in his viewing of violent pornography before Mrs. Halbach's October 31st, 2005 appointment at the Avery Salvage Yard. And that's what Zellner claims. Now, Bobby did testify that he saw Teresa on the property that day. Uh, the judge denied the defense's motion based on the CD. That's surprising. While the defense did not have those specific impressions of Detective Vallee prior to the trial, the information that he used to create the CD in question was in possession of the defendant prior to trial. Selner told the news, once again, we are disappointed in the lower court's poor grasp of the facts, misapplication of the law, and dilatory tactics in missing deadlines. We look forward to experiencing the best of Wisconsin's judiciary as we advance to a higher court. We did not develop the ineffective assistance of counsel argument because of the failure to disclose the CD was a clear Brady violation, not ineffective assistance of counsel. So the timing of it may help Stephen. Now, there is another issue at hand, and that issue is very clearly that no one can help Brendan anymore. Brendan is out of appeals. So the only thing that could potentially get Brendan out of prison would be if they're able to get Stephen out. 
which is sad. Brendan is in there mainly because of falsified statements he gave to police. Now, unfortunately, since I am not at the studio, I don't have the video that I prepared that had the Dassey testimonies on it. So because of that, unfortunately, I'm not able to show those to you guys. Um, I wish I could. <clears throat> so what's left? Well, what's left is we have a new suspect, Bobby. We still need to try to identify this other adult male. We need to do that. It's iffy at this point if we'll ever find out who it is. I have an idea of who it is, and I'm hoping that I'm right. And it's mainly just because of the way that Brendan and Bobby's mother acted after it was revealed that Zellner was greatly looking at Bobby as a suspect. And that's basically that she didn't believe it. She doesn't understand why Kathleen is going after her family, why she's looking at Bobby, why she's doing all these things, why she's bringing up the searches on the computer. For somebody that's trying to help their son, and I'm talking about Brendan, I would want anybody to overturn any potential rock I possibly could. Even if that means that my other son, unfortunately, becomes a suspect. So what does that do for Brendan? Well, if they can prove that it was Bobby or maybe it was Scott Taddock, um, his stepfather, or even Teresa's ex-boyfriend, that makes it that somebody else committed the crime and that Manitowoc was on that witch hunt for Stephen. And they couldn't get Stephen... So they were trying to sweeten the pot by bringing Brendan into it, putting Brendan there, telling Brendan that he has all this information in his brain and that the only thing that's going to help him is to let it all out. <clears throat> That's a tactic that is unfortunately predatory. It doesn't do anybody any good. It's happened in other false confession cases. It's been proven to be a false conf confession tactic by John Douglas, probably the leading expert in false confessions and in what to look for. In false confessions, the guy invented criminal profiling. If anybody 
knows what they're talking about when it comes to that. It's John Douglas. <clears throat> now, unfortunately, Jeremy had looked up some other information. He had broken down a lot of the affidavits that Kathleen has submitted. Since he's not here, obviously I can't get his opinion on it. Maybe before we break into the family annihilators, the next time he's on the show, um, I'll have him just give his final thoughts on this. It really stinks that I wasn't able to get him on the show. Uh, you know, but I understand everything that's going on. So I'm just going to kind of break down my final thoughts on Stephen and Brendan. It stinks that Brendan is out of appeals. It's very clear that there were more than enough predatory stands used against him during his interrogations. If there was ever a cause for an ineffective use of counsel case, it would be Brendan. And the main reason I say that is Len Kinchitsky used Brendan to get into this big case. He sent Brendan to an investigator that was his own investigator who, instead of listening to Brendan try to tell that he doesn't know anything. He doesn't know anything. And he said that multiple times when he's being questioned by Kaczynski's investigator. He said it for 20 minutes. And then the investigator finally broke down and said, listen, you're lying. I want you to draw pictures of how Teresa's body looked on the bed. I want you to show me what the chains looked like. I want you to show me Steven shooting her. I want you to show me this. I want you to show me that. And Brendan even came out and said, everything I stated in there, I read in a book. I saw in a movie. Kiss the girls. It's a horrible book it's a horrible movie you know but it's very popular so it would make sense that people had seen it especially somebody like brendan that's the kind of age range that those kind of movies kind of go after now what else do i take away from this stephen avery was looking at getting a lot of money millions 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 he's looking at 25 30 40 50 million dollars in a settlement for his first false imprisonment he was tried and convicted of sexually assaulting a woman and spent 18 years in prison and then finally, DNA evidence exonerated him, showing that it was another person and that somebody had actually tried calling Manitowoc County Sheriff's Department saying, this guy 
is admitting to committing a sexual assault in your area and that somebody's in prison for it. And they're just like, okay, thank you. Click. Didn't care. If Stephen was acting differently, and what I mean by that, if Stephen was acting more like somebody who was guilty and is just sitting here saying, you know, I didn't do it, da 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 da, but, you know, he's been actively pursuing every avenue he possibly can. He reached out to the Innocence Project a second time. And the Innocence Project were the ones that got him out of prison the first time. He, you know, said, I want the best post-conviction attorney that there is. Zellner was in the news at that time for the Ryan Becker case, where she got him off based on several other technicalities. She was just on 48 Hours, um, you know, and several other news magazine shows showing what she did and how she did it to get him uh, freed. So that's huge as it is right there. When Zellner took the case, the main thing that she always does, and this is the one thing about Zellner that I've loved, she never, ever, ever, will take a case if she feels that the person is guilty. And she asked Stephen, did you do it? Stephen, of course, no. I never did it. Da-da-da-da-da. Same way he acted with the first conviction. Now, the main takeaway that I have from Zellner being involved in this, A, is obviously, you know, uh, Ryan Ferguson. I'm sorry, I called him Ryan Becker. Um, uh, you know, Kevin Fox, Joseph Burroughs, all of these guys, Michael Cardamorn, they all completely maintained their innocence and Zellner is using techniques to look at things that a lot of people would be afraid to look at the main thing that she used that I found very interesting and even the guy that was doing this testing even said on there you know this is, you know, out there. A lot of people don't consider this to be real science and that it should be done almost immediately following the crime. And that would really help us decide whether or not you are uh, innocent or guilty. Um, however, they did this thing called brain mapping, which certain areas of the brain will light up, you know, based on different levels of, um, activity looking at it. And the one thing that they took away 
is his brain didn't change at all. When the images of Teresa popped up, you know, the anger parts of the brain didn't light up. When, you know, or not even the, you know, sexual areas of the brain or anything. He was just, you know, okay, there it is. And I found that interesting. And they said there was no deception whatsoever. None. In any of it. So I found that interesting. But when she was doing her testing, um, after she picked up the case, the one thing that I found that was very interesting was she contested the DNA evidence and said, I don't feel that there's enough of Avery's DNA in certain areas, but there's an overabundance in areas where there wouldn't be DNA or things like that. And then the one thing that um, Ken Kratz was so adamant about was the sweat DNA on <clears throat> the hood latch of Teresa's car. One thing I know about DNA, and I don't even need to look anything up about this because I went to college, I went to high school, we studied DNA. <laughs> and that's mainly that DNA comes from nucle nucleinated cells. And basically what that means is that the cells have to be alive at some point to leave a DNA signature. Now, the only way that sweat would ever contain anything that would contain a DNA profile is if they found a towel that had sweat on it. Because when you take the towel and you wipe your forehead or you wipe your cheeks or you wipe wherever, not only are you going to get that sweat, but you're also going to peel off your skin because it takes off that top layer of skin that's constantly falling off. So there would be skin cells. So there would be sweat DNA or there would be DNA from the skin cells. So they would need to find skin cells, not sweat. Now, a lawyer by the name of Colin Miller uh, put a article out talking about just this thing. <clears throat> and this is a quote from... Jerry Buting, one of Avery's trial attorneys. And it basically says, he is making statements he should know are untrue. The claims about Stephen Avery's sweat DNA being found on the hood latch of the Red 4. There is no such thing as sweat DNA. DNA is found in all nucleinated cells, but there has never been a test to determine that a sample of DNA came 
specifically from perspiration. What Attorney Kratz also has not mentioned is that there are many studies that show touch DNA can be innocently transferred from one object to another, one person to another, without any connection to a crime. So, someone submitted this question to the Law Professor Blogs Network from the University of South Carolina School of Law. And they asked, is Jerry Buting correct? So the answer that he has here is yes. It is well established that, quote, sweat contains no DNA. And this is from a case from 2012, people. Ashcraft versus the state of Indiana. That states, people often slow off skin cells containing DNA when they sweat. Gee, did I not just say that? Thus, DNA is often present on articles of clothing, including hats, state versus Norman from 2003. And that's from an Ohio case. As Buting noted, DNA is found in all nucleinated cells. Now, this is from another case, uh, the state versus Pennington from North Carolina. DNA is the chemical in which encodes all genetic information. DNA is located in the nucleus of all nucleated cells in the human body remains consistent throughout a person's life and is identical in each cell. DNA is composed of two strands made of chains of a chemical basis called nucleotides or nucleotides. Now picture Mr. DNA from Jurassic Park. That's what we're talking about here. That Jacob's ladder uh, deal. Each, nucleo, uh, each nucleotide is one of four chemicals which is compose a four-letter genetic alphabet. The strands are very long, containing billions and billions of nucleotides. Okay, so basically we're talking everything that Mr. DNA talked about. Yep, basically it's everything from that. So here's the other question. What other fluids or aspects of the body contain DNA. Any nucleated cell in the human body would contain DNA. So, in our forensic work, we basically work with white blood cells will have a large amount of DNA. Skin cells. Semen samples. The epiphyloia cells of, a, of from the female uh, in a sexual assault have very high yield of DNA. Sperm cells, again, da, 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 da. sweat from sweat glands, is that the cells, the nucleated cells that are shed in um, sweat would contain the DNA. So basically the skin cells, like they said. So, Buting was right. There is no DNA in sweat. Uh, the blood vial. 
obviously they tried to run a test that stated, um, you know, that the, that the blood that was found in the RAV4 did not come from this vial. And Beck, when he was originally arrested, to preserve this, the blood, they would add a chemical to the, to the blood called EDTA. They tested three swabs and found that there was no EDTA. There were six that were sent. Now, the FBI is the one that did this test. And what's interesting about that is that the FBI has not had a test to search for EDTA in about a decade, maybe more. Because they stopped using EDTA because they found other ways of saving the blood vials. So, hmm, where did this blood come from? Again, Avery talked about getting cut, very similar to the way that OJ did. Ha, huh. interesting coincidence. However, in the sink in his bathroom, in his trailer home, um, he says that there were blood drippings all over the sink and he doesn't remember cleaning up that he didn't clean it up because he left before he had a chance to. When he came back, he noticed that the door of his trailer had been pried open and that the sink was clean. So what, what does that mean? Possibly somebody went in there, took the blood out of the sink, dripped it all over the RAV4. Here's the interesting thing about the blood. There were flakes of blood found in the RAV4. And what's interesting about that is if it was a live source of blood, meaning that the person was actively bleeding while they're putting, leaving their blood in the RAV4, it wouldn't flake. It wouldn't be hard crusted blood it would be droplets it wouldn't be like little flakes so what that tells me is that somebody took dried blood of Avery's and just either scraped it off of something and it fell on the carpet or somebody scraped it put it in their hand and sprinkled it all over the car so that's interesting. And they tested the hood latch on a very similar RAV4. And this is Kathleen Zellner and her uh, experts. And this is all from season two of Making a Murderer. But I'm just giving my takeaway from this and where I think Wisconsin got it wrong. The blood is a big one. The sweat DNA is another. This is the third. She had experts with a dummy that weighed the exact same amount of Teresa. And she had them attempt to fling it into the back of the RAV4. The way that the blood was positioned on the back door of the RAV4 did not match what they were doing 
in their tests. And even though they, you know, they flung her pretty hard when she, when the mannequin was weighted down. Then they also took all the weights off and made it basically like a 80, 90 pound human and tried flinging and it didn't do anything. Those things are very interesting to me. And they're interesting to me in the, in the fact that there should have been at least some indication that her body was flung in the back of that car by a human being if her body was flung in the back of that car. The blood doesn't match that. It just doesn't. No matter what you do, no matter how you try, there is nothing in that car that would explain it. The other thing that, that they tested was Stephen's blood on the key opening the car. It didn't match them turning. You would literally have to like have three foot long fingers in order for that motion to happen if it was on that finger if it was just on his finger or even on his knuckle it, it there's just more than enough clearance in between i'm trying to find words here again i was used to having two people talk about this um so there's that aspect of it the other aspect was the blood found on the gear shift. Well, you know, where the blood was on the gear shift, that blood would have had to been, like, all over his hand, all over his palm, all over his thumb, in order to make it appear where it was. The blood was just random, all over the RAV4. It didn't make sense. Now... I will say this, at first I thought he did it, but then I just started looking at the evidence and looking at the pictures and looking at things, and I'm like, there's no way he did this. No way in hell. And then you had poor Brendan, you know, talking about a violent rape, talking about this, talking about that, and none of it makes any sense. None of it. None. These two guys got railroaded. Now, the evidence that points to her ex-boyfriend and her brother, a lot of that was mentioned during that body language expert tape. And here's what I'll say about that. They're right. That body language expert is right. There are things that Hillegas and Michael Halbach were doing that point to 100% guilt. That clip that they showed where the news was talking to them uh, while they were searching the Avery property for the car, 
you know, and Mike kept interrupting, putting, you know, words in and things like that. Suspicious 1 million percent. Going through her cell phone. It's illegal, for one. Cracking her voicemail. Illegal. But not only that, but there's also proof that they didn't show in that clip, but it is on an episode of Making a Murderer, and it is something that, that Kathleen Zoner has brought up several times, and that is that there were voicemails deleted from Teresa's phone after she was reported missing. And now you have two guys, her brother and her ex-boyfriend, telling investigators they cracked her voicemail. So the only people that could have potentially and possibly have deleted those voicemails are Hillegas and her brother. We talked about what they did with Pam Sturm, the camera, the phone number to the sheriff, all of that. All of it points to them. And then you have the eyewitness that sees Bobby. Bobby's crazy porn images and all of that. You know, there's so much that points to other people other than Stephen and Brendan. Now, here's what I'm going to do. Like I said, you know, I wish I could have had Jeremy here, but... You know, things happened where he couldn't be here. So the next time Jeremy's on, before we get into fi family annihil annihilators, <laughs> I'm sorry. You know, like I said at the beginning of the show, I'm four days away from getting married. Nerves are kicking in, and I'm thinking about that, and I'm trying to do this, and I'm, bah, I'm just all over the place. But I'll bring Jeremy on. We'll have him break down the things that he took out of uh, Zellner's briefs and everything. We'll go through all that. Um, no Lex Vegas show tomorrow. Um, obviously, we're having some issues getting into the studio right now. Sorry. But is that but true? No Lex Vegas show. I know my week's not going to be complete without it either. <laughs> uh, and the only reason, the main reason is, is tomorrow night is my wedding rehearsal. So I can't be in studio with Lex A. And then B, um, you know, the things that we're doing, trying to get the uh, Guiding Wings studio up and running. There's all that. Um you know, the Guiding Wings Adult Services Studio. Um, there will be no Steel, City, no Steel City Renegades this Sunday. Because Sunday's my wedding. I won't be there. Uh, Dave, my co-host, is invited to my wedding. So, no me. Dave could do a show. No, Dave, I could do a show. No me and no Dave, no show. <laughs> Sorry, that's just kind of how it goes. Um, so 
Obviously, no grape this Sunday either, uh, since we'll be there. Uh, but next week, next week, you know, we got Sean Boyd, Just Therapy on Monday. Gary Winter spinning all the hits on Tuesdays. Sean Boyd, 7 to 10, maybe 10.30. Gary, 7 to 10. I will be back in studio Wednesday night. We'll talk about everything that happened at my wedding. We'll talk about some interesting things that have happened this past week. And we're going to talk about the return. I know I'm a couple weeks late, but I wanted to see how seeing CM Punk for multiple weeks in AEW, he's uh, fighting Darby Allen Sunday night on the pay-per-view, so I want to watch that. Obviously, I can't watch it live, so I'm going to watch it the next day. So we'll go from there. Lex might be in studio. I want Lex in studio talking about this because Lex hates the fact that Punk is back. So, that's next week. We're going to break down CM Punk. More sad but true news. All that. We're going to do about the two-hour mark. The show started a little early tonight, so I'm going to end a little early. Got about 15 minutes left. But I think I'm going to end a little bit early tonight. Um, wife's been blowing up my phone. She wants to go over some final stuff before the rehearsal tomorrow. But that's my take on Avery. That's my take on Dassey. I honestly do feel that the person responsible for the death of Teresa Halbach shockingly is not her ex-boyfriend, even though there's evidence against that he could be involved and her brother. I do think it's Bobby Dassey and his stepfather, Scott Taddock. That's who I think is responsible. So, again, we'll have Jeremy in. We're going to talk family annihilators, Chris Watts, Chris Benoit, uh, and a few others that have not been as heavily publicized as Chris Benoit and Chris Watts. Hmm. Both those guys' names are Chris. Oh, well. Anyway. <laughs> uh, so, next week, CM Punk, when I get um, Jeremy back in studio, Family Annihilators. And then we're going to have Jeremy in once a month, like I said, talking true crime. Not sure what I want to call that segment just yet, but it will be a once-in-a-month thing. thing. Uh, we do have a few new shows coming to Redline Radio as well. Stay tuned for information on that. The Guiding Wings studio will be up and running September 12th for the return of Steel City Renegades. Obviously, a lot of stuff we can talk about there. A lot of crazy shit's been happening in the NFL this week. You know, teams getting their rosters down to 53. Some big name pieces getting bumped. 
off of teams. <clears throat> what the hell is going on with Deshaun Watson? Who the fuck knows? So there's that. And then obviously, week one of the NFL. All that is coming to Steel City Renegades when we return the 12th. I got one more clip from Grape Gonna Give It To You that I'm going to show you guys. And then I'm going to cut the show a little bit early. Like I said, you know, just been a crazy week. You know, we got stuff going on tomorrow. Um, you know, four days away from the wedding. Just trying to get everything done and finalized so that when we get to the wedding Sunday, we are good to go. Now, this clip from Grape Gonna Give It To You features not only Grape, but it also features Dave, voice, my voice. And if you guys watch the Lex Vegas show, you guys know about Dub. He's also called into the Sean Boyd show. He's commented on my show a few times. And he's just a redline regular. So check this clip out from grape gonna give it to you and then next week i'll be back in studio everything will be kosher until next week and have a week now most buildings nowadays are made of uh concrete cement like a jailhouse right so basically that shit it kind of like brings you down the material in the, in the particular concretes in the buildings that they're using to build these cities with and if you look around a lot of these beautiful buildings oh shit we got an intruder that's lee money oh shit lee money let me borrow something in okay hello Shit, I thought we was getting robbed in this motherfucker, man. I was about to reach him. Bang. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, though? Brother, I see you over there. Another Pittsburgh fan. Oh, they're going to jump y'all asses. <laughs> hey, Dub's watching, so I got some. I got a word for Dub. Uh oh. Right here. I got a What's word. What's the for word? Dub. You're fired. Ooh, on your day off? Damn. I fired Dub's ass. Oh, shit. Why you got to tell him all my shit? He gonna, hey, Dub, I ain't know nothing about it. He going to think I'm in on the shenanigans. Dude. Hey, you know what? He's been firing me and Dave all week. It's payback time. Oh, it shit. Is. Power trip. Power trip. All right, yeah, but like I was saying, man. Something fun.